0: Hello and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Miriam Anzaman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Seligson. What's on the menu for today, Dan?
1: I am really excited that we have the founder of Tate Bakery and Cafe, Surit Orr. Surit was born and raised in Israel, and she has given those of us who work in the financial district in downtown Boston a gift. Earlier this year, a new Tate Bakery Cafe opened right next to my work. And right near South Station, it joins 10 other locations in Boston, Brookline, and Cambridge that are serving shakshuka, cakes, tarts, pastries, and more, all Instagram-friendly. The quality of food offerings in this neighborhood has just increased exponentially, and we are rightly excited to have her on the podcast today.
0: Welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast. We are so thrilled to have you here today. Thank you for having me.
1: So we wanted to start out by talking about your really uh, interesting personal history. And can you talk a little bit about sort of the path from the kibbutz to the film industry to a growing empire of restaurants Mm -hmm. in greater Boston?
2: Sure. So I was born in a kibbutz in the north side of the country of Israel. My family actually was... um, a big part of building the kibbutz and the whole community around it. And we grew up very close to the ground in the sense of you really had to be part of the community, you had to contribute, everyone were equal. And we had to, we went to school, and then after school, we had to contribute to the community if it's planting tomatoes or harvesting grapes or bananas or working in the with the cows so it was part of everyone's effort to put the food on the table
1: farm to table kibbutz to table yeah the yeah kibbutz to table movement. in
2: other words if you wanted to eat you had to contribute as a kid as a student and as an adult and everyone were equal in the sense of um your salary or your income were the same whether you were an accountant for the kibbutz or where you work in the cows. And that's that's the values that I grew up on. You always share with everyone, and you always contribute and give back. And I went to the army at uh, age 18, and I was not a typical kibbutz person. I contribute, I participate, but I was never part of um, you know the traditional community or someone that will... I knew I'm not going to stay in the kibbutz for the rest of my life. I knew I wanted more than that. There is a very clear ceiling of where you can go in a kibbutz, in a traditional kibbutz where the way I grew up, which is a little bit different today. I went to the army, and it was a great two years experience of my life. I've been uh, everywhere. And I think it was a month or two months before I was done with the army that I decided to move to uh, Tel Aviv, to the city. And... Start my life basically and see how how things are working in the city. And I um, applied to a production company to uh, as the office manager just to start from the bottom. I um, managed the office and slowly but surely been part of the a, a production and learn how to uh, from assistant producer or to a producer to a line producer to post-production producer and uh, I've done some really fascinating uh, production in uh, I had a very big project in Rome that I was there for six months and in Cyprus and I've done some work with startup in animation did a b- bunch of commercials and it was just a, a beautiful and fascinating journey of 12 years uh, of filming and Doing a lot of documentary and learning about the human side of, of this industry. And in two thousand and three, met my husband. He's now my ex-husband, um, and he, um, we knew each other from the kibbutz, from the days in the kibbutz. And uh, he left uh, Israel when he was eleven, and his family moved to the states. And he, um, we've become a couple. And he asked me if I want to try to live in the U.S., and at first I, you know, I had a fantastic career in, uh, in Israel. I love film, I love my family and friends, and it convinced me to, to give it a chance, and um, I thought I'm going for two, three years. We started our journey in Los Angeles, and I came as a film producer, and I came with a lot of uh, connection, and um, set in uh, some great interviews with some great people. But it didn't feel right to me, it didn't, I, I didn't like LA. I um, didn't like the glitz and glimmer of this side of life and um, I'm more of a New York person for people who know me than the, the LA. And I've decided LA is not for me and uh, the life there not for me and maybe it's time to try something else after 12 years.
1: And since then, we've consistently beaten LA in every possible sport, which must be satisfying.
2: <laughs> yes, it was good. It's great. And um, you know, I always, uh, I always say that I always knew how to bake in Israel. It's very different than in America. Baking at home, you really bake. This in my home, and my mom is a real baker, and uh, she baked every day. Uh, it was a thing, and you could choose to join her or or just eat what she's doing. And I pushed myself to join her at every opportunity and help her. And I really knew the basics uh, of baking. And I knew how to bake. I knew how to work with yeast and meringues and chocolate and how to shape brioche. And so I started to bake in my house here. And um, I had many, many challenges in a way that I did not know what Americans' baked goods are. I did not know what Americans eat. Because there's a culture, in definitely in a kibbutz, but in Israel is you you bake a, at home. You don't really buy. Same for the food. You cook. You don't, there's no um, takeaway or restaurants. Or I grew up in a whole other different world. There's of, no
1: mixes. Right, there's no I mean, box. You can buy everything in a box mix. and add water and an egg and then... Yeah, Here in America, that's what we
0: do. Yeah,
2: but also there is, you know, uh, you really had to cook if you wanted to eat the way I grew up. So I never interact with any, you know, restaurant in the U.S. or bakeries. And so I had to decide how I'm approaching it. And um, I just decided to bake what I know how to bake and uh, give it a try. I uh, googled my way into what farmer's market are because we didn't have farmer's market in Israel because... It's everything, it's a farmer's market, so it's everywhere. And um, I apply for, um, there's a federation of farmer's market in Massachusetts and I apply and send them, my uh, did portfolio, I baked everything and took uh, photos and they called me and said we were blown away by your uh, a product and, and it, which market do you wanna be in? And I read that Copley Square, it's, uh, it's a great uh, location so I just said, can I be in uh, Copley Square? And they said, absolutely. And um, Copley Square is a, a farmer's market. Uh, it's the number one farmer's market. And uh, it's a market that vendors usually wait between five to seven years, if at, at all getting in. And they gave me the corner across from the library and um, said, great. And I uh, basically, it was, it was a one-person operation. I baked around the clock. And the full meaning of this word, I never sat down. I remember my neighbor asked me once, do you ever sit down? Mm. Because every time I'm here, you're in the kitchen. And I said, as long as I have brownies and biscotti, I can sit down. But I never have enough because I stood in the farmer's market and I baked and I packed everything and load and unload. So I I work seven days a week and just try to make it. And uh, we sold out at every farmers market and uh, our customers really wanted us to have a store storefront and wanted Tate seven days a week and helped me to find the new location, the first location of Tate Brookline. And I always say it was um was a quite success from day one. And the customer really hugged us. They they loved the product. It was something they never saw before. It was beautiful and a lot of use of nuts and fruits that was not, back in 2007, was not something uh, many bakeries used. And for me personally and professionally, it was a struggle because I've never worked in the United States. I've never hired people, and I never managed people in the States. I never managed people. I never baked in English. So just just thinking about that, how you how you hire people, how you the mentality the work mentality here is extremely different than in Israel how you interact with them how you coach them how you train them and how you how you find money for your first location and yeah. and and open and uh, my english was not great so a lot of that struggle in addition to a typical entrepreneur struggle luckily there was uh, a lot of support from the community and they embraced us and we were very successful pretty much day one
1: and now you have 400 employees
2: we have closer to 700 oh wow
1: wow because 400 was last year winter of last <laughs> yes. year was 400 yes. so apparently you're growing quickly we have
2: close you have uh, actually I think over then so wow. we will wow. have over 700 when we open our location in March, The next location.
0: It's so interesting that you mentioned you you took photos and you sent them and that got (coughs) you into the Copley uh, Farmer's Market because when the first thing that we did when we visited the new location on Summer Street was take photos because it's so gorgeous in there. The food, the floor tiles, the marble surfaces, um, everything is so aesthetically harmonious and it's almost like it's made for people who want to Instagram their food. And we know that we're not the only people who are, are kind of into that. We know that Mika Brzezinski was in um, a location pretty fairly recently with her daughter taking Instagram photos. Um, so what do you think when you see customers come into a location and they're just snapping photos trying to get that perfect shot of the beautiful
2: food? I think for me, I know we have a very successful Instagram and I, visual for me and Pictures allow me to talk because, especially in the early stage of the business, when um, my English was not as great, and you talk with pictures. And one of the big challenges I had in coming to America is that I was looking for the visual and look of Europe and and Israel and how I grew up, uh, of facades and and and. Um, interior yeah um and i couldn't find it here everything was just the visual of it did not work well for me with food and the first satay was designed to for me to feel home mm-hmm. and it was very cozy and people just loved being there staying there everyone tying it now into this instagram world but i've been around that block years before there was even you know instagram or cell phones that's how that's how my sense of aesthetic. Um, So when I design Tate, I don't think about Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, We've always done it before. Um, I'm always happy to see people really not just enjoying it by taking pictures but also know how to use the space so they take a picture of the floor and the food which is great uh, they mean they notice it and we want them to notice but they actually schedule all their meetings in the space and come to lunch or breakfast and come over the weekend they enjoy the space it's not just the visual it's also comfortable and it's welcoming so um yeah instagram embraced us and people go to tatin immediately take pictures and it's uh it's amazing to see it but uh nothing is done for instagram mm.
1: yeah so along those lines uh we ordered a massive meal when we went to the, <laughs> <So> <laughs> the <many> location <laughs> down the street from us in the financial district and we probably ordered i don't know six or seven things and of course we busted out the camera i thought shakshuka was absolutely beautiful that was my favorite because I think that the colors are so vibrant. You've got the red and the yellow, and then you've got some green sprinkled on top. And I'm wondering, from your perspective as a person who um, has come up with the recipes and has made all of this food, uh, what is your most Instagrammable dish? What should someone order if they're going specifically to take a picture of the food and share it with the world?
2: I think the shakshuka is a good one because of the composition of overall the the picture.
1: That's our best picture, right? The shakshuka picture? Oh, yeah. That was very
2: popular. (laughs) I'm very into like the extreme details. So for me, it's which, what's the surface of the table and which floor you have in the background. But I always suggest people to have some depth in the pictures. So uh, many of our product has, you know, the stems on or salad that are more colorful. So I would probably say pear pie. All our desserts are very colorful and beautiful. I would say the croque madame, the croissant. People love croissants. And anything chocolate. Yes. Let's get that next time. Shuka is always a winner, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. and I loved... I got sourdough with ricotta and this amazing jam. jam. It was so good, and it was so beautiful. I was sorry to eat it, but then I did because it was really tasty, and I don't regret it. It was so, so good. So you've spoken about your love for the East Coast over the West Coast and for Boston, and why do you feel... Boston has proven to be um, such a welcoming spot for, for you and for Tate. And, you know, as you say, you've got multiple locations open, another one coming up in March. Um, so what do you think kind of resonated with, with people here? Well, I came to
2: Boston uh, as uh, I wanted to move to the East Coast because for me, selfishly, it was closer to home. Mm. So I could go and take a quick flight home, quick uh, Nine hours fly home, Relatively and not fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> my husband, uh, my ex-husband, um, um, got a job offer here, and I immediately jumped on it. and said, We're going. I love Boston, and there's something very European about Boston. And back in the days when I just arrived here, no family and friends, you're really starving for anything that will give you some comfort or the sense of home. And so the decision was just selfishly. For me, because I missed home, and then I found myself starting a business here. You know, we were very successful, but it took time for Boston to embrace us. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of the reason we were very successful at the beginning, because there are a lot of students here from everywhere in the world, and there are a lot of international people here. And our first location was uh, very close to the Back Bay and BU, And I think a lot of our customers came from that Copley Square area, the farmer's market. And Boston uh, took some time to embrace that and understand. Some people thought I'm crazy at the beginning because I didn't do any round cakes. All my cakes Mm. were square and rectangular. And I did things that no one else is doing. And I think people fell in love with the story, with how authentic it is with our spaces that really, as a customer, when you walk in, you really feel that someone thought about you, uh, that you'll be comfortable. So Boston is a very European, international kind of city for me. I think Tate will be successful in everywhere we go because every human is looking for that comfort, that sense of belonging to go to a space and have great food but also great experience. Mm. So I think we will be embraced by many other cities, likely.
1: You talked a bit about your background cooking in Israel and learning to bake in Israel. And I wanted to just sort of delve into that a little bit. I, my experience living in New York, and it was limited, it was under a year, but I found that there's a much more diverse array of what is considered Jewish food. Uh, here in Boston for, you, know, you were mentioning up until 2007, you know, we have bagels, we have Monteval soup and knishes and kugel and, you know, sandwiches with huge slab, you know, huge amounts of sliced yes. meat between pieces of bread. But I feel like only recently that wider world of Jewish and Israeli food that's healthy and vibrant and colorful is starting to emerge. I think you get some credit for that but what you know why, why else do you think it's it's starting to take hold here?
2: Uh, well, I think it's more Israeli food than Jewish food. and I think if you think about what Israeli food so we took a little bit from everyone and make it our own and every now and then someone else claim uh, that the Jerusalem bagel is not really Israeli, it's not. Uh, but we make it our own. I think the whole movement of health and eating healthy and understanding produce vegetables and how many face can have can be to vegetables and how you know the the culture in America is that you have to have meat, you have to have bacon. <laughs> and I think there is a I come from a, the extreme other side of that and I think that um, Americans find out that, there's a whole world of vegetables. Going back to to our food and tate, I um, remember when I introduced shakshuka in 2012 in Kendall Square, and no one knew how to pronounce it. No one even knew what it is. Uh, and now everyone doing shakshuka, even places that you wouldn't expect to find shakshuka, just because it's uh, it's a dish that everyone likes. But I think it's the the combination of it's healthy. It's light, and it's very trendy now. Yeah. People. Not like...
1: everything has to be tan and brown and served with mustard. Right. <laughs> which I think is a wonderful development. Yes. I really do.
2: Yes. It's yeah. It's great. Yeah.
0: Uh, so you, ta- you you spoke earlier about your mom's influence. Uh, you know, um, as a baker, and some of her recipes you make at Tate. Um, what. Delicious item is most reminiscent of your childhood or her cooking.
2: Um, definitely the cheesecake. Mm. Which is my favorite cake at Ate. She made the cheesecake every week, and me. She used to hide the crust and the crumbs on top for me and my brother. <laughs> actually, in her closet. Uh, because, as, <laughs> every week it was a ritual. Every week because we used to we used to eat it. Uh, it was so good, and. I started to make it a tate, and all the bakers, it was the same thing. They had they had started to eat it before we finished the cake. Oh, yeah. So we started to make extra so we can eat it and still make the cakes. Uh, but it's the same recipe that my mom used to make. I was born to that recipe, basically. So I ate it as a baby and as a kid. Okay, okay next time we got to go, we, we yeah, get the yeah, cheesecake. Maybe we should just go next today. Time, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a well-known, it's really the best yeah. cakes we have, I think.
1: You've achieved... Quite a bit already, and you have a, I'm going to call it a cafe empire, up to 12 in a month. Yeah. You'll be up to 12 in March. What do you have on your list to achieve in the future? What's your What's your long-term goal? Do you want tates on every corner? And that would be fine with me.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I want tata in every corner. I When I started this journey, I really wanted, uh, I thought tate is a great thing. It's a great place for people to again feel belong and welcomed and be exposed to new food and a uh, new way of treating ingredients and so i uh, when i first started i said i want to bring Tata to, to every person possible and for me now it's not so much the f- any, every corner it's more about where where can we find communities and neighborhoods that we can really make a difference and with our food and with our overall experience and We are looking into which market we should go and open and offer Tate. And there's a massive demand for Tate for a place where you can enjoy from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. and have breakfast or lunch or dinner or just gather with your friends. We are going to grow even more. For me personally, I focus a lot on, well, beside the brand and keep doing what I'm doing is to be able to give back and provide people with what I didn't have when I came here. And, you know, a good example for it is something that we just launched. Um, we, I worked on this with Jen for a while. I decided to give my employee English classes to all the employees that don't know the language.
0: That's awesome. And
2: in their country, been doing something else and fell into the kitchen and will forever chop vegetables if no one will, basically... Uh, help them. And we have about 70 people. We identify four teachers and we launch it this Monday. And it's a year long program where at the end they're going to know English and hopefully grow within the company. Um, and if not, we'll have their dignity when they go to the doctor or they go to the bank or they're having their life here. So, doing more of that and outside of Tata too, uh, it's something that. Uh, really drive me and excite me
1: the location that just well opened recently on summer street in the financial district uh, is just a few blocks so we've been a few times i've been to other locations i've been to brookline i've been to back bay and they seem breakfast oriented this one might be a little bit more lunch oriented have you noticed i know that you've tapped into the boston psyche but have you noticed different habits based on the spaces that you've created and the communities that you're in
2: yes it's a it's a good question um downtown for me was a tough one. I always make sure that Tate, the way we choose location is we're either part of an exciting neighborhood or we helping developer to create a neighborhood. And downtown didn't feel like a place with soul to me that can really support the brand. And it took me a few years to actually think about it as an opportunity and when you go to downtown I don't know if you can find any place that don't want you in and out in five minutes and that that's why I decided to come to downtown to take this challenge and provide people with a place they can just have a meeting or have a real breakfast and sit down and enjoy themselves and the challenge that I took was we're gonna have a lunch business here that's for sure how are we creating a breakfast business and a dinner business, potentially, and a weekend business? And the first day when we opened, it was very crowded in lunch. It was quiet in the morning. And I was there all first week and every day. So that the day, day three, you could not find a table to sit at 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. And it's become just another tate where from 7 a.m. to close, it's always busy. Um, so I think that we do have a very strong breakfast business now in Summer Street.
1: Do you have regulars? I mean, you...
2: Yes. So if you go at 10, you're unlikely to... I usually text my team. I I have meetings there. Can you grab me a table? Mm -hmm. Because I know there's no way I will find a table. Uh,
0: so you've talked about how in the past, you know, Israeli food and the kibbutz was uh, served as your inspiration, um... And I know a lot of people look to Tate for their food
2: inspiration. Where do you look now for new food inspiration? Home. Home, yes. <laughs> I just uh, I was just in Paris and London, and I enjoy the fact that I go to places and there's no bacon on the menu, which was mm-hmm. uh, refreshing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it's funny, I get inspiration uh, if I go to restaurants that are more of a vegetable, Mediterranean, uh, but it's still, it's home. It's, it's only home, I would say. Okay. Yeah.
0: So we've got a little speed round of questions for you. So our first one is, what is your personal favorite dish you serve at Tate?
2: Food or desserts? One of each. I love the Jerusalem bagel the egg in a hole. I love the entire menu, but um, I do love the Jerusalem bagel. And I love the cheesecake and the pear pie.
1: Have you made any mistakes in the kitchen that have actually turned into recipes that you now love?
2: Yes, the pistachio crush cake. I made too many meringues when we opened Tate Brookline, and I have 20 boxes of pistachio meringue. Pistachio is very expensive, and I was looking at my baker and said, what are we going to do with all of this? We can't trash it. And I made a crust out of it and filling and topped it with pistachio, and it's one of the our customers' favorite cakes of all time. Yeah, it's still there.
1: What is the one ingredient and then kitchen gadget that you absolutely cannot live without?
2: Salt. I love salt, and I think you need it in every, almost in every recipe, and rolling pin. I still roll my dough. Um, when I started Tate, we didn't have any dough sheeter, and my mom taught me how to roll dough, which you need to know, and... When I bake now, I bake with, I roll my dough with a rolling pin. Actually, it's the only thing I bought in Paris in terms of tool. I bought another French uh, rolling pin, just a thinner one, so I have it.
0: Okay, so if someone is coming to Tate and they can only order one thing, this is hypothetical because obviously they'd order more, uh, what is the one thing they have to try? Would it be the cheesecake or
2: something else? I don't know if I can answer that question because... I don't think you ever get one thing at all. That's true. I mean, we certainly
0: didn't. We we (laughs) thought we were going to get one
1: dish each, and I think we each
2: got two. We got a couple.
0: Okay, that's a good point. So just don't go in with the assumption that you can only get one
2: thing because you will walk out with many, many. You're very curious when you go in and you want to try things. And so if you're uh, live by or work by, you can go every day and try that. But most people just, they can't. Yeah.
0: So we know about your history as a film producer, which you told us a little bit about. Some, us, some of us here um, at CJP in Jewish Boston, we think this is, well, we believe this is the golden age of Israeli television. At least that's what Netflix thinks, and we believe it too. Yes. Um, do you? Uh, what's your favorite Israeli uh, movie or television?
2: Wow. Well, I'm pretty distanced from it now because um, I don't watch much TV in general. Uh, but if talking about now, I love Fauda. We love Fauda. I love Fauda. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny to me for me to watch this because I know the people, it's people I worked with before. So, and I recognize the, the places. Right. And my brother was in the industry for until recently and it was a f- photographer. So I know the people behind the scene and it's just, uh, I love Fauda.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we love it too. We can't wait for season three apparently yeah. season three is
1: out in israel is we just oh need gosh. to go there to watch to, it yeah <laughs>
2: you can find it uh you can find it on in the internet too okay we'll find, the we're pirate gonna go find it on the internet <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was great ourselves. to watch uh, homeland when it just started yeah because um they were filming in jaffa and, and yeah. you know so people that i know and it's uh it's so bringing cool. me back home yes
0: that must be so surreal to be watching it and then being like oh
2: it is a strange yeah. you're not really uh sitting in uh you know, n- nerve-wracking right. uh, because, you know, it's Jaffa yeah. and not yeah. uh, Yemen or something, right. whatever they
1: were. But <laughs> I thought Fauda was so nerve-wracking, I have to say. No, we still haven't recovered. So nerve-wracking. But
2: it, when I was in the army, I interact with um, the people like Fauda. Mm. And I remember um, I was in a place called Hevon and yeah. I had to get back to my base and um, I took a lot of risks in the army, just walking around them. And uh, I remember they stopped the van and opened the door and they said, come on, jump in, we'll take you to the base. Oh my god! And they were so well covered that I could not believe them. And I knew they're fine, I knew they're from my side, but I could not get into the car. So when I saw Father and I saw this van and they opened the door, I was like, oh my God. And it's- you saw
1: those bowling shirts on those guys, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so I did not go into the van because I, couldn't believe yeah. that they were so well covered undercover yeah, yeah. wow
0: you've just yeah. had an incredible <laughs> career yeah, it was, all around
2: yeah. wow
0: well sarit thank you so much for joining us today on the vibe of the tribe it was amazing to meet you and just hear about your incredible story thank
2: you for having me
0: for more information about Tate and to find a location close to you, visit TateBakery.com. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn, and follow at Jewish Boston on social media for all of our great content. Thanks as always to our editor and mascot, Jesse, and for Ryan for our music. Thanks so much.
1: Okay. We're recording. Hi, Jesse. I didn't fuck up at all. You've got nothing. You've got nothing.